Burning Zozo Written by Kristen Knight Narrated by Nancy Peterson One point three. Release. The cell door opened and a guard flopped a stack of street clothes onto Rand Taylor's bunk. Get dressed. Lawyers here, the guard said, then walked away, leaving the cell door gaping wide. Rand stood gawking at the cavernous hole. He felt odd, exposed in the open space. Then he realized what the guard had said snapped back into reality and fumbled to strip off his orange gear. He slid on his old jeans and let out an audible sigh. The old friends felt substantial against his legs and waist. He threw on his shoes and pulled his T-shirt over his head. Like the jeans, it was tighter than he'd remembered. He'd put on twenty pounds of new muscle in the yard, and it had come in handy. His lawyer was waiting in the entryway by the metal detector in a pink tweed blazer. You ready? she asked. Yeah, he said. My family here? Uh, first things first. Let's get you checked out, she said, and waited while Rand signed out and collected his personals. The door to the prison swung wide. Blinding Colorado sun sliced through the gap and the lawyer held up her arm to block the light. Rand just squinted through the pane and pushed out onto the sidewalk. When he could finally focus, he saw a man standing fifty yards out. He was shorter than Rand. Nearly everyone in the world was shorter than Rand, but armored in a very specific set of lethal muscle. He wore a black shirt and pricey mirrored sunglasses, Rand didn't like that he couldn't see the man's eyes. Beyond the man at the curb sat a top-of-the-line Mercedes with black-tinted windows. Rand approached the sun-glassed man. My girl's inside? He nodded at the car. I'm afraid not, the man said. You've taken me to them? You promised me I could see my girls. You will, in time the man said. How much time? Rand said, his neck tensing. You have a job to do first, the man said coolly, too coolly for Rand's taste. Rand stepped forward. That wasn't the deal. I see my girls first. Actually, it was the deal, Mr. Taylor. You've got to learn to read the fine print. And trust me on this. You won't want to see them until you have something to show for yourself. Give them a daddy to be proud of. Rand looked back at the federal prison, then at the car, then at the man in front of him and said, Okay, when do I start? You start now, Mr. Taylor. The man waved toward the waiting car. Rand looked back at his lawyer standing by the door. What does she know? he asked. She was told just enough to free you. At least sunglasses isn't stupid, Rand thought, and climbed into the back of the car. The man slid onto the back seat beside him. 
Where are we going? Rand asked. Not far. A few hours away. He pulled out a laptop, fired it up, and started answering email. I can't go out of state till I'm off probation. The man said, You don't need to worry about that. Rand turned toward him. Wait, what do you mean I don't need to worry? The sun-glassed man typed while he explained. You haven't just had your sentence shortened, Mr. Taylor. You've been exonerated. You are no longer a convicted felon. In fact, you have no record whatsoever. Not even a parking ticket. Without an appeal? The man tipped his head sideways. Yes, he answered. Still confused as to what was happening and how this deal had even found him, Rand rode for over 100 miles of Highway 25 without speaking. He was too busy trying to figure out who could have set this strange roller coaster in motion. He knew a lot of people who owed him favors, but no one with the political connections or power to do what the man had explained, if what he was saying was true. When Rand finally spoke again, he turned to the man sitting next to him and asked, Who are you? 1.4 Exodus Andy stayed in her room for the rest of the day. Every so often, she'd take out a legal pad and jot down options on the left half of a page, then connect them to possible outcomes on the right with a messy line. She spent hours diagramming possible moves to get what she needed. By nightfall, both her bed and Steffi's were littered with sheet after sheet of webbed possibilities. When it was finally dark outside and Steffi was in deep REM sleep, Andy knew she was completely out because her eyes were half open and flickering, as usual. Andy reached for the key she'd hidden above the window, then unlocked her dresser drawer and groped deep inside. Her fingers brushed against dozens of addressed stamped letters, all wearing the same name. Gently, she fingered past their soft, worn tops until she found the glasses with plain lenses that she'd bought for ten bucks at Forever 21. She slid them on and picked up her sandals. Steffi stirred in the bed just inches away, her small feet wiggling out from under the pink fleece blanket. Gently, Andy reached over and tucked in Steffi's exposed feet and shoulders, then brushed the hair from her little sister's velvety cheek. Without me here? What will happen to her? Andy wondered, hesitating. Then, the thoughts that always drove her forward appeared in her mind, arguing their case. She deserves better. They all do. Andy squared her shoulders, grabbed the handle of her suitcase, and tiptoed into the blackened hall. The sound of Shane's heavy breathing washed out of the crack in his bedroom door, bathing Andy in a heavy dose of nerves. Her own breath crackled loudly in her drying throat. She slowed her step to help quiet her breath. Eventually, she made it safely to the kitchen. She scanned the room in the dark, looking for the messy lump of vinyl that was her mother's purse. She found it in the shadows next to the toaster and plunged in her hand. Rummaging past the stack of Robitussin gel caps and unpaid bills, 
Andy found the envelope that had held her babysitting money. She felt the size, or lack of size, of it, and her stomach sank to her shoes. Instead of the inch of cash it had held, the envelope had been stripped down to just three bills. As she searched the purse for the rest, her hand bumped against three full bottles of cough syrup, and she knew the money was gone. A hot ache pulsed up her throat, and she fought to swallow it back down. Then her fingers fell on the smooth plastic daisy that graced Emma's pacifier, and she knew what she had to do. Andy thrust her hand deeper into the purse. There she found Liz's wallet and stripped it of credit cards and cash, then jammed the stack in her shorts pocket and picked up her suitcase. Carefully, she opened the front door and began surgically sliding through. With one full shoulder, an arm and a leg out, the rusty door shrieked the news of her escape. Liz moaned from the bedroom, then mumbled something about holy water. Andy froze at the sound, her breath whirling high in her throat, carving circles of pain. She stood listening, trying to calm herself. To help settle her nerves, she focused on the neighbor's blue bug zapper that lit the way to freedom. When both parents had been quiet enough long enough, Andy slid her body the rest of the way through the door and gently closed it. Outside, she put on her sandals, strapped her suitcase to her bike, and rolled through the horseshoe of mobile homes where she lived. She stepped lightly. She didn't want to wake the dogs that lived in the horseshoe. The jackals her name for the little beasts. Each belonged to a different owner, but they behaved like a single pack. And they didn't like Andy. If they hurt her, they'd bark bloody murder and nip at her ankles. She rolled her bike slowly, ears alert for low growls. She made it out onto Agua Fria Street safely, then sighed and mounted her green vintage Schwinn. Pedaling faster and faster, Free exhilaration sparked up her arms, chest, neck, and over her face. The Belikov home was tightly embraced with a ten-foot, linen-white adobe wall, where high-end electric eyes dotted the ledge and a fingerprint lock sealed the door. Non-family could never enter at night without setting off an alarm, so Andy leaned her back against the clean white wall and dialed. A groggy voice answered, how is the city of brothers and love? Actually, the phrase is brotherly love, and I'm not in Philly. Did I wake you up? Kind of. What's up? I really need your help. Can you meet me out front and bring your car keys? Wait, why didn't you go? I'll tell you once you get out here. Moments later, a broad-shouldered apparition glided from behind the wall. Kristoff Belikov. Since the day she decided to be a lawyer, Andy had been practicing creating all-points bulletins for the people in her life that mattered. She had dozens for Chris, the latest being 16-year-old male, Russian-born, 6'2", blonde, strong, funny in the right way, Blue, 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 blue eyes. And his smile? I'm pleading the fifth on what his smile looks like or how it makes me feel. 
What's up, Lapushka? Chris called Andy pet names in Russian, just to set her off balance. He was oblivious to the fact that anything he said in that musical, barely-there Russian accent gave her vertigo. And he always would be, if she could help it. Why? Because Chris was going to be a priest. Yep, an actual, card-carrying Catholic priest. Celibate. Solo. Untouchable. He'd be attending seminary after graduation, so what was the point of her telling him that she thought about him every ninth second, or had 833 photos of him on her cell, all taken when he wasn't looking, or that her skin actually ached when she hadn't seen him for more than three days in a row? Besides, he'd never shown even a shred of evidence that he felt the same way about her. Case closed. Hey, he said, and flipped his keys over in his hand. Andy pushed up her glasses. Hey, can you take me to my Aunt Kathy's? When? Now? It's pretty late. Can we wait until tomorrow? Um, no. Her oldest is sick, and she needs me to watch the rest of the kids while she goes to the ER. The lie sounded blocky and awkward in her own ears. Chris gazed at Andy through the navy blue darkness for a half second, then said, Okay, let's go, and started texting. Wait, what are you doing? she said. You know my mother. If she finds me missing after dark, she will call every law enforcement agency in the country. NSA, CIA, FBI, Homeland Security. He pressed send and looked up. Where does your Aunt Kathy live? ABQ. Andy's voice began creaking under her stacking lies as she got in the car. Trusting Chris, fired up the engine and pulled out. Albuquerque it is. Chris leaned back, opened the moonroof, plugged in his iPod and spent a good twenty minutes singing at the top of his lungs. Chris's accent always thickened up when he sang. Muscle memory from singing Russian bedtime songs as a child. Andy closed her eyes and savored the sound of consonants pushing forward, then tripping off the edge of Chris's tongue. It took her back to the church picnic where they met. It was May, and they were both nine. The other kids had been making fun of Chris's English, so he sat off to the side, alone and afraid. Andy was tired of getting crucified at dodgeball. So she plopped down beside him, introduced herself, then spent the next hour arguing how fundamentally unfair the game was. He listened to every word she said, like it was pouring forth from the mouth of God. He followed her hands with his eyes, smiled when she smiled, and nodded his agreement after her most animated points. Andy thought he was the nicest person she'd ever met and looked for him at every church event after that. She didn't realize until later that Chris's attentive gaze was simply him trying to understand her English. Over the years, Andy helped Chris learn English, and he helped her learn a lot more. He had taught her what it felt like to be completely exposed to someone and still feel safe. Once Chris got his full height in mind-blowing looks, the popular crowd started inviting him to games and parties. He occasionally partook, 
but was always there for Andy when she called. A few miles out of Santa Fe, Chris turned off the iPod and said, Okay, what's going on? With my cousin? No, with the fact that you are here and not at Nationals, and not complaining that we're listening to music from this century. Chris glanced at her. And with this mark on your face. She looked out the window. No comment. Chris slowed the car, then pulled over. Hey, don't stop. We're making good time. You know it's pointless to keep things from me, right? I've got a sixth sense, and I'm way more stubborn than you. Andy looked at the gnarled pinion tree crouching outside her window. An angry, green-haired troll, he stared back at her, his top lip curling in mockery. She muttered into the glass, Domestic dispute. Chris touched her arm. She flinched. This time was so... I can't even define it, it was so bad. She took my trip money in front of the entire debate team and the parents and everyone. And then she... Her voice disappeared. But I won't let her take everything. I can't. My family won't make it. Chris exhaled, nodded, and stated, So we're not going to Kathy's. She bowed her head and flicked the cards in her pocket. I'm sorry I lied. I didn't want to get you in trouble in case, you know, you needed plausible deniability. So we're going to the airport? Andy looked at her hands. Andy, you're not serious. Chris's voice dropped. You are not this person. I need to do this, Chris. Why? Because it's the best, most comprehensive solution to my problems. How? Take me through the logic. What does running off without your parents' permission do? He held up his hand to stop the rebuttal he could see forming behind her eyes. Even to nationals. What does it solve? Everything. And they signed a release form last week. Really? What happens when your parents discover you're missing and call the police? He knew her well enough to know she hadn't left a note. They won't. Chris opened his mouth to speak, and Andy interrupted. You know why. Police are way too risky for our family. Undocumented dad and all. Okay. What if they call Coach Jensen? Andy shook her head. I can control him. Excuse me? She moaned. You know what I mean. My competing is good for him, for his career. He'll only care that I'm there to help the team win. I'll just tell him my mom changed her mind and let me go after all. Then once I'm there, I'm there, competing. Wow. So you're going to lie to him. Use him. No, I'm not using him. I'm just saying it's not bad for him if I go. He'll be okay with it. Chris shook his head, trying to shake Andy's logic into some kind of order in his mind. 
without your parents' consent, across state lines? Andy sighed loudly. And what do you say when you get home? I'm not sure I'm coming home. She clenched her teeth and closed her eyes. No further questions, okay? Chris stayed quiet and stared out at the cloud-clotted sky. After several long seconds, Andy blurted, Stop! I can hear your mind judging me. She rubbed her face. You don't get it. I can't just sit there in that house with that soul-mashing thing that calls itself a mother and an MIA father. I have to do something to fix this for my brother and sisters. So why you? Chris pressed. Why do you have to solve it? Because no one else will, she yelled, desperation blasting through her words. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I get it. Chris rubbed her arm, calming her while he thought. Then why don't you stay with me, with us? This plan or whatever you are doing is not smart, and not smart is not you. Andy's face flushed at the thought of sleeping through the wall from Chris or running into him shirtless on the way to the bathroom. No, I couldn't do that to you. Your mother would be angry if the Scoggin monster reared its ugly head at all hours to find me. And she would rear her head. Besides, someone needs to protect Emma. You know you'll have a record if you're caught. Then what happens to law school? Andy looked down at her hands, just now noticing the ink marks on her fingertips from her long day of plan-making. She muttered quietly, my dad got fired today, Chris. She shook her head slowly and fought back tears. And my useless mother wants me to drop out of school and work as a maid. Maybe if I have a national title on my application and some decent night classes, I can still... She stopped herself and shook her head again. He did? Chris's voice softened. Andy nodded once. Chris tapped his thumbs on the steering wheel, thinking, Can you talk to your dad's boss? Persuade him to take him back? I mean, you are the Southwest Regional Debate Champion. Form an argument. Running isn't your style, Andy. Maybe it is now, she muttered and cradled her aching chin. Chris twisted the leather on his steering wheel. What if you go in the other direction? Work as a maid for a while. Stay out of her way. Save your money. Graduate early. Maybe get an apartment. Don't let her win like this. That's easy for you to say, Chris. You don't know what it's like to have so many brothers and sisters with zero backup. Suddenly, a siren screamed behind the cooper, and blue and red lights flashed through the windows. Andy twisted around. No, no, not this. Please, not this, not now. Don't worry, we're not doing anything illegal. Chris smiled sideways. Well, I'm not doing anything illegal. Andy didn't laugh. She slumped down in her seat and quickly pulled her hair forward to hide her face. The single white eye of a flashlight bounced along the side of the road, then rolled up and peered in the cooper's window. 
Chris lowered the glass. License and registration, please, the officer behind the eye said. Yes, sir. Chris handed his documents over. The eye looked down at the license for several seconds, then scanned the back seat, Chris's pupils, and Andy's face. She held her hand over her bruised cheek and kept her eyes on the floor. Look at me, please, miss, the cop said. Andy glanced up at him, but didn't move her hand. Can I see some ID? Andy hesitated, fingering the driver's license in her pocket. The one rule she'd learned as a Scoggin child is, do anything to keep cops away from the house. Keep Daddy safe. They should have a cross-stitch of it on the wall, she'd heard it so many times. And the license had her real address on it. Oh, I don't have it on me. Sorry, officer. Chris turned to her and mouthed, Just give it to him. I lost it at the lacrosse game. Her voice grew thread thin. Don't know where it is. Drop your hand, please, miss, and look at me. Now. She looked away. Okay, it's been a long day, and I'm going to get all kinds of touchy if you make me walk over there just to force you to lower your hand, the officer said. Slowly, Andy moved her hand away from the bruise on her face. The eye gazed at her cheek for a few seconds. He do that to you, miss? What? Chris twisted toward the cop. No, I didn't touch her. Andy looked out the window. The troll tree glared back at her, waiting for an answer. Did he? In that moment, the flashlight reflected off the tree. She saw that sheets of bark had peeled from his trunk, dropping to the ground like leprosy. Long pieces of him, bit by bit, disappearing into the New Mexico sand. Andy closed her eyes, took in a deep breath, and said, Yes, he did. Chris whirled to look at her. She kept her eyes closed and bit down hard on her tongue. Okay, everyone out of the car, the eye demanded. And by everyone, I mean you, lover boy.
back on the show as my tears fall. I know my track's dope, and after all, I ride the game bareback, beat the brakes off. Shivering the night as the sweat drips off. It's cold outside, I just got flipped off. Cars pass, guys blast, lost cash. No gas, low class, light flash. Practice for days, the stage I tripped off. Made musical waves, but just got ripped off. Flat on my face, pancakes and grits, y'all. Club owner didn't pay, he flip fly. Life is short and all I hear is TikTok. I'm catching Pitbull right here on this song. No happy ending, pretending that I am ending and sending a love note wrapped up to hip hop. Nightmares that I still sleep through. 